Hi, this is Zohara with The Soloist, conversations on music, soul, education, life, and many things in between. Hello and welcome back, friends. Today, I'm in conversation with Vita Gora and Barbara Rappaport, two of my soul sisters. I will let them introduce themselves at the beginning of our conversations. We are three crones who meet regularly to share our journey from a soul perspective as well as life juiciness. If you are not familiar with the word crone, C-R-O-N-E, I would like to read to you some of the definitions of a crone. The crone is a woman elder. The developmental task of the crone stage is sharing wisdom, which might be the reason crone is also called a wise woman. In Neolithic times, crone women were the tribal matriarchs. Their heightened awareness of human nature yielded great insight, and they were the source of wise counsel for important decisions. Spiritually, this is the mastery phase. The wise woman teaches knowledge gained from her skills and life experience. It is a time of reaching into her spiritual depth, utilizing her powers of intuition and finding meaning in her visions from the dream world. Some crown women are masters of healing at the highest level. The crown stage of life, more than any other, is a time of giving back to society the cumulative wisdom of the years. Many crones seem to have the energy to get more involved in the world at large. It is often crone energy that leads to changes being made in society. As the crone woman moves further into her life path, she feels the urge to teach others and to cultivate her passions. It can be the most productive time in women's lives, end quote. One of the areas that the three of us are passionate, curious, and concerned about is the topic of education, which we discovered were, was very close to our hearts. In this conversation of today, we will be talking about the meaning and purpose of education various ages and stages of education, the art and need of listening and presence, being comfortable with the unknown, the importance of a pause, radical self-acceptance, contemplative practices, the art of asking questions, mirroring, how to know and accept ourselves so we can do it with, other, with others. We also touch the fact that we are enough. I am enough, 
we are enough. There is enough. And much more. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Vita. Welcome, Barbara. So good to have a conversation with you. And I want to thank you for agreeing to come and play with me because we don't know what's going to come. So I thought that maybe we can start with uh, you introducing yourself or saying anything. You're not limited in time. Anything that you want to say that you want people to know about you, actually. So Vita, let's start with you. Thank you, Zohara. So great to be with you. So my name is Vita Goler, and I am about to retire um, after 33 years at Spelman College, which is a college for African-American or a college for black women, not just African-American women in the US. And um, I started out as an artist, a dance uh, performer and choreographer, moved into dance history and then into contemplative practices and pedagogy. Um, so, and also I've done some administration at Spelman as well as teaching. And um, yeah, so I've, I've brought my artistry to my teaching and I've also brought contemplative practices. So as I prepare to retire, I see myself moving into this area of um, offering contemplative retreats um, to black women and others as well. So great to be with you. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I will ask a question, an obvious question. What do you mean contemplative? Ah, by contemplative, I mean, or contemplative, some people say, I mean, any kind of practice like meditation or journaling or walking a labyrinth or something, any kind of practice that turns our attention inward. Ordinarily, as we go through life, our attention is focused outward. We're looking at things or we're listening, we're speaking, we're engaged with the external world. But contemplative practices help us engage with the internal world so that we really access, you know, our, our, our truths and our values and, you know, who we really are. And once we access that inner wisdom, we can move about in the external world more fully, more purposefully, and more authentically. Mm. That's beautiful. We might touch more of it or maybe go deeper later if, uh, if appropriate, but I, I really, I can really feel it. Thank you. Barbara, what would you like us to know about you? I mean, not us, other people. Well, also to say, so glad to be with both of you. And I guess I'll start with, I've been focused lately on radical self-acceptance. And that came about as a result of writing a memoir, which I'm very at peace having had a chance to put into perspective a whole lot of trauma that makes so much more sense now that I gave myself, like Vita's talking about, that opportunity to be reflective and contemplative and find my place and space in a way that I never knew at my age which is just so beautiful. And the thing I focus on in my day-to-day -day world is I'm a leadership 
an executive coach. So I work with high level leaders in all kinds of organizations and I help them figure out what's getting in their own way that they can make choices about. And again, it's all part of this inward journey that Vita started talking about. So it speaks to some of our commonality in mm. our sisterhood here. Mm. Thank you, Barbara. And as you know, I'm always, I think you notice it. I like to pick words that stick up to me. So when you say high level, what do you mean? I don't remember when I said it. <laughs> uh, okay, high level coaches? No, you said how high level uh, individuals. Did you coach high level people or high level? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, re high I, level. Remember, I remembered using the term. I didn't remember in what context I used it. Yeah, I, I work a lot with leaders at all levels of the organization, but primarily those who are at the top. Okay. And they carry a really big burden that many of the people who follow them don't always understand or appreciate. And so they often need a place to go to work through things that worry them, consume them, scare them, that they feel like they need a chance to work through, but they're also afraid to show that vulnerability to the people they lead. Mm. Wow. So listening to both of you, Vita and Barbara, it reminds me, not that I need a reminder, but it brings me back to the place that we, the three of us are connected. And I invite you to jump in and cut me and disagree with me or agree with me at any stage because we are not, we're just discussion. We're just recording the, the gathering that we usually have, the ongoing gathering. It's just at this time we record it. That's the only difference. But it reminds me because um, you use the word contemplative, Vita. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it well, contemplative. Mm -hmm. And you said inward, uh, Barbara. And it reminds me that this is a place that we really met initially. The place not, we might even not have known about each other, where we live or what age we are, uh, unless the wrinkles uh, disclosed it. But we, we just felt that we are connecting with a very deep level. We called it soul. We said we are soul sisters. Um, or as Barbara gave us a name, Shvestas. We are soul Shvestas, which is sisters in, uh, in Yiddish. So just connecting on this deep level, three crones concerned about our own journey and how it reflects and helps and serves the world. Or the world does not need to be the whole world. It can just be our neighborhood or our family. This is when we met, we felt that we can, we're inspiring each other because we could lean on each other. We can support each other. We could guide each other. We, we laughed, we cried together. And, and that's the journey we're taking together. So I think at one of our discussions, we touched the, the word of education. Some, somehow the word education came up and we discovered then that the three of us are passionate about this topic. We come from different fields. So I really would like us to explore it together and to see where it takes us. Um, as far as education goes, where do you see your role of education? Or how do you see education? I mean, there's no, there's no set of questions. Just jump in whenever you want to say. 
What's your relationship with education? Oh, I'll start. Um, Because I've had a very, just a direct relationship with education as an educator. Um, and, And as such, I've been very aware of how in some ways students have changed over the years um, or education processes have changed and over the years. But, but, but I think the main thing that comes to me right now is the importance of education uh, and that um, what I think needs to be taught in education is often not taught. So for it, so I've talked about contemplative practices, contemplative practices already. And in my view, that's one of the most important things that we could be teaching students because we could be teaching people because we kind of expect people, we expect several things of people when they are grown that they kind of know um, what their, what their work is, what their true work is, that they know um, how to move about the world with integrity and a, and a good sense of ethics and morality, that they know how to uh, act as a responsible adult so that they know how to, how to deal with their emotions. We all have emotions, so how do we, how do we manage them? But we don't necessarily teach people how to do these things and contemplative practices help us know how to actually know what we're really feeling. They help, they help us um, manage ourselves so that we, you know, we don't act inappropriately. They also help us to know, you know, I, I said earlier what our true work is. I mean, so many of us are working in jobs just to make money, but I, I believe philosophically that you know, most of us really do want to work and that if we're able to work with the, the, the do, to do the things that kind of make our hearts sing, then we're able to make great contributions to the world as well as support ourselves and our families. And, and I know this might sound Pollyanna-ish to folks, but I, I think it's really true. And, and some of us have greater ability to do that than others. I, I do recognize that. But I think that if we if our education system helped us to engage in these practices that help us to do the inner work, to do true inner work, that we would, we would end up not just being a, a lawyer just because we know that that's a job that exists, but we, we would know that, oh, being a teacher or being a whatever is really something that's going to help the world and fulfill me, provide meaning uh, in my life. And then we can also, we're happier, you know, we're emotionally more uh, stable and all, it just has uh, greater, greater benefits. So I think teaching and learning contemplative practices is, is something that would really, really benefit young people. And so w- would you say, Vita, j- just to, to, put, to put a little title on what you're saying, and then we can explore it together. So do you say, in your eyes, education will be the ability to reflect, to go within, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a subject. Right, and thank you. Uh, Actually, in a way, I think it's a skill that really would be important in any subject, 
but it's important to um, to to name it and acknowledge it and, and and also to teach it and give young people opportunities to practice it in a variety of different contexts. Mm. And just before before I let Barbara share her part in in this topic, what ages you were you you've had it you've had experience of. Teaching. Mostly my teaching has been at the college level. Okay. Um, I have taught young kids very, very a long time ago with just teaching dance, but yeah. So college, but I know American, that, sorry, um, sorry. Yes. American higher education, you know, like after, after high school. So 18, 17, 18, mm -hmm. 17, age? 18 okay. to, mm -hmm. yep. That's it. That's okay. it. And most of my teaching has been at the undergraduate level. So, yeah. Thank you. Barbara, what's your take on it? Well, I've got a couple of things that I was thinking about as I was listening. One was, I think, in this last few moments, that wouldn't it be beautiful if, with these contemplative practices, we could help young people who become adults realizing that they can be the subject, that they actually can be the subject, and that it's really okay, that it's not arrogant, that it's not selfish, it's not self-centered, it's contemplative. I mean, your word's perfect, Dita, right? And I think what happens often, and I guess your listeners don't know, Zahara, that I'm also from the United States. I can only speak from my experience. And it might be different culturally, but probably not. That, one of the reasons I think young people don't get an opportunity to do that, besides that it's not something that they're literally taught, um, is that, as young people in this country progress, they're all focusing on what the external environment tells them they should do and should be. And when they focus on that, they don't even think they have permission to think about self. And so what I find in my leadership coaching, and I, I teach classes, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching um, with individuals, that a whole lot of work I have to help people start to do because it never dawned on them, and I'm talking about people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, is to define their leadership purpose, which I think, again, speaks to a little bit of what we've already started talking about. Um, you said, Vita, you call it their work, right? It's not just the title, it's what their purpose, right? Their work, so. I'm seeing Zahara smile, big smiles. So I'm wondering what you think, my friend. <laughs> I, I, I'm, just, I'm just, I've got always words that uh, are stiffing to me. And I don't know if this is my rebel part that clings to the word and say, I need to find out what this word is. Or maybe this is just my curious, curiosity or maybe both of them. And I, I will leave the path that we are going for a minute. We'll just do a bit of a diversion and I can see how it connects it's a very big introduction here, Barbara. It connects to what I asked you before, the high level and the leadership. Now, here is my personal thing, completely personal. Doesn't it's not a pub, it's it's not a collective thing. When I first heard the, the word leadership many, many years ago, when I just I was just on the way, the inner pathway of inner work, I I didn't understand where, where it's taking us. And then I remember in some workshops, people say, this is a very American thing. You were just saying that you are from America. And I think we are all from everywhere because 
it's 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 a it's a cultural thing the leadership thing uh at some point i'm looking okay let me just stop for a minute take a breath and see where what i really wanted to say my area of education is working with very little children or from very little children so i'm working with from i'm teaching music or teaching piano from the age of three and uh, working with parents from prenatal um, and working with teachers so i'm working with all all rainbow of ages from from zero to and i'm working a lot with elders to to really old old age the thing was that at some point in our society, I felt that we are, and it's going to connect to what you said, but both of you, at some point um, that we are making people feel that there's some leadership that they need to aim to. And I know actually it's a, it's a very confusing word because leaders might mean you'll be the leader of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to lead people after you. And if you're not famous enough and you're not a leader, because I remember asking many times, if everybody's going to be a leader, who's going to be the follower? And I realized that actually the way the word leadership, it's not used a lot in, in Australia, as far as I met, but it, it, it's, used in, it's, it's used much more um, in, the, in the world. I realized that the word leaders is actually making other people who don't think they can be, become leaders, it makes them shrink. It makes them go back and say, ah, oh, no, I'm not, I cannot be a leader. I don't have any bone of a leader. And it makes the, what you said, um, Barbara, the external environment pushing even more. Unless you're someone, who are you? You're nothing. So I, I'm so engaged now in in this kind of thing that I can't even remember what I wanted to say initially. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe what matters is we take it from there because I think that connecting to both what you both do, and I know what you're doing, and you also now now the listeners know it. How can we help who, whoever we help, or no matter what age is, how can we help them realize that they have a role? What do you think? Or can we realize them? Do you want to go, Barbara? I don't have much to say other than the term I used when I first introduced myself, which is radical self-acceptance. Hmm. We just deserve to be. And I feel like the work I do with, you know, education and organizations, Vida, you do it with college students. So Hari, you just said you do it with all ages. That all we're doing when we get to the core of what we love and care for the most, is we're helping people recognize they deserve just to be. Mm. And the system creates all kinds of mechanisms that gets in the way mm. and sometimes helps, right? I don't want to be um, negative in some of the ways, because I know what we all do in some ways is systemic. We have systems and structures that support us. But at the end of the day, for me, that's what I want to help people do. Radical. Sometimes you have to, you have to oh. radical self-acceptance and you have to unlearn certain things. Mm -hmm. Radical self-acceptance. It just feels good in my belly. 
radical mm -hmm. self-acceptance. Vita, what do you think? Well, that's the word I was thinking of when I asked if you wanted to go, because I was going to lift that word up. Because um, that's another thing I think that these contemplative practices do is that they help us, they help us to know ourselves, they help us to accept ourselves, they help us to love ourselves, which all of that is essential if we're going to love other folks as well. And, and they help us to, to that all means that we get our value from within so that, I mean, I know exactly what you're, what you're, what you're saying, Barbara, that, you know, well, both of you, that this other, other, this idea that if, if you're not a leader, then you're, you know, somehow you're, you're a lesser individual. Um, not recognizing that we are all leaders and followers depending on, you know, on, on, on the situation. Um, and that if we are really true to ourselves, like if we really, if we have radical self-acceptance, then it doesn't matter what we do. I mean, we can, you know, we can, we can have a, a not very high work position and I'm putting high in, in quotes. Um, and we could have a position that some people don't think much of, but that could be the right position for us for a number of different reasons. Like, one, we just get fulfillment from doing that, or it gives us time to focus more on our family or something else. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter, but the important thing is kind of another related term is like, we get to define ourselves. I get to define myself. I get, I get to say what is right for me and you know, what success means for me. Um, I don't have to, and what, what I get to validate myself. I don't have to seek this from the external world because in fact, and I'll just throw this in as, as a, a black woman in, in America, I often get the message that I'm not valuable. And so it's, if I don't value myself, then I'm really lost. So, and, and, and so that's, I know that as a black woman, but I know that that is true for all people everywhere that we really have to, it's important that we love and value and accept ourselves. Yeah. A question pops in my mind. If we were not at this age and with this experience that we have, and our life journey that enriched each and one of us and then gave us also the ability to connect at this level. And we had the word radical self-acceptance. Even if somebody translated it for us, we are younger, somebody translated, would we have enough tools to do it? It comes, something comes in head, I don't remember who said it, maybe Bernard Shaw, that uh, maybe not, I, I can't remember, that in the first 50, in the first 50, uh, the first half of our life, we learn things. And then the second half of life, we unlearn things. I, I wonder many times if we need to go through this blindness or through the not knowing or through adapting all this um, wrong in inverted commas way of thinking or what an environment expects of us, in order for us to come one day to say enough and all not always it comes like this sometimes it comes gradually 
we learn things and we start shedding more layers and saying, ah, that's more of me. Because when we are born, and I, I, I don't have an answer. I have lots of questions when I'm dealing with the little ones. When we are born, in order to define who we are, we almost like cling to definitions. So we find definitions, we find, we identify ourselves with things so we know where we are, like all these mirroring things, which always makes me think that we need to change the mirrors for the little ones so they can see more to who they are, who they are and not who we want us to be, who we want them to be. But I'm, I love the word when you said radical self-acceptance and you repeated it and you said in your, in your, in your own word, Dita, is it so simple? Is it simple? Is it doable? No, let, let's go, let's leave simple. Is it doable in the areas of education that you are heading? What do we need to do in order to help people realize? One thing I, I think is that we have to I don't know whether to say accept or agree that it is a worthwhile endeavor. I mean, I think a lot of, I know a lot of colleges talk about educating the whole person where there, you know, there's the academic and there's the physical and the spiritual and the moral ethical. Um, I'm, I kind of assume that's true at um, younger ages as well, but it, in some ways it's, it's almost lip service. I mean, and I'm not trying to to, to diminish efforts that are, are really made, but I think that it's almost like we say it, but we don't we don't back it up with any kind of action. You know, I mean, um, other than like I imagine some schools that have a maybe a a religious connection, like I'm thinking like Catholic schools or something like that, where you know that that kind of uh, moral developments part of the religious study but for a, a school that has just a kind of a secular focus i don't know that that there's anything other than you know if you do something wrong you get punished <laughs> you know uh, you know so um yeah so i so i think that if we really decide yes educating the person to love themselves, to, to really be authentic, uh, then, then that just means some different things about how we learn and, and that there has to be some time devoted to reflective activities. And, and there also has to be some openness to students being as they are. I mean, I, I think, especially in education at, at, at um, earlier ages, it's important that the students, you know, sit in the chairs or whatever, so that they're manageable because it's just, it's too much because, because our classrooms are too big and that kind of thing. But if we, if we were to really value this, then we could change our classroom structure. So we'd have more teachers and teacher aides and adults around and, and we would be more willing for students to be more self-guided so that, you know, so that, so that everybody doesn't have to learn at the, learn in the same way, at the same pace and all of that. So, um, I mean, there are a number of things here. There's the, the inner work, the contemplative practices that lead to inner work, but there's also 
and openness to let people be who they are and kind of direct their learning to some extent. Thanks. I have so many things going through my head, so I'm not sure. Um, thinking about little ones, because I don't work with little ones at all. And in fact, I only deal in theories of adult development, not child development whatsoever. But I was recently on a different podcast on a whole different topic, and it came up that I was speaking to the book I wrote, it's called Reimagined, and it's this memoir. And I talked a lot about my worldview and how that came to be and how I wanted to shift it. And the person who was interviewing me on the podcast said something about a challenge they had with their like 13 year old child. And I said, well, maybe you wouldn't have a challenge if you found out what her worldview is. And he answered, I don't wanna keep going on that topic, but I'm thinking about what you said, Zahara, around maybe part of what we all could do better is ask better questions of people. Because I know that in my work, I don't have the answers for anybody. You earlier said, Zahara, you don't have answers. I don't have answers. What I do is I try to create an environment where answers can surface. And one way I do that, I hope, is by asking meaningful and sometimes compelling questions. And I wish we did that with younger people. So they understood that it was safe to answer as themselves instead of what they think people you know, want to hear. Because I think it starts really early for survival reasons that they start answering the way they think you expect them to answer. Yeah. Can I jump in? So true. And I can definitely see the importance of it from a very young age. Now, I'll, I'll just connect it with what you said, Vita, with just touching what you said. You said educating the whole, the whole person educating the whole child. Um, you know that I'm, my, my world is the Suzuki Talent Education, which is educating children from, from before birth. Um, it's, it's interesting because uh, Dr. Shinichi Suzuki used to say, we have to start very young, maybe the age of five or three. And then a few years later or a year later, he came and said, actually, no, we have to start from the age of two. And then he came and said, actually, from birth we have to start and then he came oh no actually from when the mother is pregnant and then later he's actually recanted to say we have to start before the mother was born before the mother was born so it's it's just it gives us a sensation of of where uh, you can say ancestors ancestral trauma or whatever it's really it's a very deep thing one of the main thing that actually he said is character first ability second so it's not about the music, it's about really developing the whole child, the whole soul of the child. The listening, the, as you said, the asking the right questions. I know that many times when parents watch me um, working with their child, they say, how come that you manage to bring up out of them what we can't? So apart from the fact that it's always much easier for their grandma, sort of a grandma, the teacher, teacher grandma to come into to do this. Um, I'm, I'm not actually, I'm really asking questions, that's it. I don't have the answers. I really don't, I'm, it's not false modesty. I really don't have the answers. 
I only ask them the questions. And through the answers, and this is what I always recommend all my trainees to do, because through their answers, and they will have different answers at the beginning, they're two years old, three years old, four, they grow through the answers. Through the answers, they learn, first of all, to express themselves. They get in touch with what they feel. And they know that there's no one answer. Today, you're answering this one. And tomorrow you'll answer another answer. And we are all growing together. And I think one of the things we touched it in our private, so to speak, conversations, that we actually come to all our students, regardless of their age, and we actually don't know. We share our humanity, or what you said, Vita, before you used a few times, the authenticity. We come authentic because if we are not authentic, who needs us as teachers? if we come with all these preconceived ideas. And there's something which I want us to, to go to in the next, if it feels right to you, in, in as, as we as we continue our conversation. Um, when you talked, Vita, about uh, changing things or how change, changing the education system, you didn't say it in this word, but that's, that's how I got it. I really feel, and maybe I'm too dramatic, but I feel that any uh, work of correction that we do in the current education system in most places around the world is like putting a bandage on what's not going right because so much is going wrong. I really feel that we need to do a frishmish. We just have to say, okay, let's start again. Let's start from, from scratch again. Now, if you ask me, okay, so let's make a council of elders and let's, uh, let's, let's start again. I don't have an answer yet. But by sitting together, what we do now, what we'll hopefully continue to do as long as we live, as in other ed topics, is really coming with ideas, and I hope many other educators do the same. What really do we need to do in order to address the needs of the child, the child or the elder or the college graduate will be able to serve the world? We have, an, we have a few hints, maybe, but I like... I'm going to address a question to you now, Vita. In your area, and I know that your art is your raft, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What What do you think is your? How can How can you grasp it from there? So that's like that's the that's that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, you know I really appreciate what you've said to her, but also Barbara, what you said a minute ago about questions, about asking better questions. Um, I think if we, I think that we're at a moment where, where so, so many people in the world are um, comforted by having the answer. And, um, and so that's, and, and that's what students learn, like just, you know, what is the answer that you're really looking for? Let me just give you that. So then I can move on to the next step. But what is required, I think, is for us to somehow increase our ability to live with uncertainty. And so that we're asking questions and we keep asking questions and we keep asking better questions questions that we don't know the answers to, because from that unknowing, you know, what's really needed, I think will, will emerge. Um, 
Yeah. And so, so I wrote down, um, I forget which, which one of you said this, but no, um, Zohar, I think you were talking about this character first and ability second. So it just feels like if we can focus on questions and inner exploration and um, really good mirroring that help us um, honor and support and validate character, then um, learning will learning will come after that. That you know, yeah. I, I just say we have a. I was going to say we have it backwards, but it's like we we pay lip service to character so often. It's really just get these skills, get this knowledge, get this content, so that you can go out and get this job. Um, but if we can, so I know I I jumped from the questions to that, but I think they're I think they're related. Ask questions, allow time for exploration and be comfortable with the unknown, then character develops as well as interests and kind of purpose. And then um, then the, the young person or the older person doesn't matter, is more able to kind of direct their own learning. They know which direction they want to go in and then and then teachers become facilitators to help them with the learning processes, but but then it's that seems like um, a great approach to education and learning to me. I love the unknown. I love it's the, you say you say I think you say you said the three questions which are the key keynotes, the key the key words, um, asking the questions, mirroring. And being sort of familiar, because we can never be too familiar with the unknown. Mm -hmm. how, how can we educate if we are not open to the unknown? If we know everything, nobody needs us. Let's write the manual. Just take the manual and we can go to the beach. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, some people kind of want that because, because I think we're, we're raised to be uncomfortable with discomfort and, and uncomfortable with the unknown, it, it's scary. It, yeah, the, the unknown is scary, but I think it's, it's really, it's just a mindset that um, if we can, if we have experience with the unknown and then the discoveries that come out of that, then, then we're okay with it. And I think artists know this, I think scientists know this because you know you're you're in the studio or where, wherever you are you're in the lab and you have an idea and you're exploring something and then you don't know how it's going to turn out or a quote mistake happens and then you learn something else that then leads to, to another discovery um, so yeah so so I think it's possible for us to also build in um, training and being comfortable with the unknown yeah yeah barbara well i certainly can relate to my client base about that because so much of the leadership work i do is because people expect leaders to have answers and i think i mentioned early on in our podcast here that they don't and they feel that vulnerability and they need to go somewhere with that vulnerability. And a big part of what I help them do, I think, is using your terminology, 
helping them be confident and comfortable in unknowing. We call it transformational leadership, where they understand that there is no one answer, that they have to adapt to increasingly complex realities that give them no certainty whatsoever. Factors keep changing. They, they pile on one another. So it's really even hard to take a chaotic situation and find something they can start with as a way to do that experimenting I think you're talking about, Vida. It's not in our US vocabulary, I'll say, to love what you don't know. I can hear it in scientists. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they are so trained for that. But in our culture as a whole, people get admiration for what they do know. And that's not where I sit. I sit with, let's really enjoy what we don't know and build on that and see what comes out of it. I love that. What emerges from the unknowing. That's what you said. It was beautiful. I, I don't think it's American, Barbara. I think um, maybe it's Western society, but it's definitely, I remember, as you said, I remembered when, when I was like a grown up, not, 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 as, not as old as I am now, but I was a grown up and my mother used to ask me something and I said, I don't know. And she used to look at me, that doesn't suit you not to know. And I felt, I need to find to say something. I felt, I really felt that I failed. And it's not a personal thing of my mother. She was a product of her society. I needed always to know. On one hand, it was a blessing. It pushed me to learn, to study, to learn, to study. Even though I was kicked out of school, I still loved learning. I, I just never had the right, the right educator. That's another story. That's what made me love uh, teaching because I want to be a teacher that I never had, the teacher that I never had. But that's a different story. So it's not easy what we are touching and I love what we are discovering together. We're talking about, we're circling around questioning, not knowing, mirroring. Now, when we know that the people who are raising up children, nurturing children to become who they are, our adults, it just goes back to what the two of you do so well, educating or helping or nurturing or guiding or facilitating or coaching, I don't know what and whatever word you're using, the adults in the program, because if they cannot mirror to the child, to the young child, the right environment, you are using the, the word environment. Suzuki always said, a man is a sign of his environment. Just take environment, that's it. And it's not even the, um, the big argument, nature versus na na nature, because yes, there's also nature, but the nature is so important. So we're talking about educa education. We are talking about the ability to, to not know. Do you think that we need to know a lot in order to admit that, not, that we don't know? A question that comes to mind now. What do you think? One, one thought, one experience that I've had um, it's like the more I know, the more I know I don't know. <laughs> and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those paradoxes of life. 
because we see a child when children are born, they feel that they know everything. At the right. beginning, they know everything. And then they realize that they know less. And it's not only because people tell them that they should know differently. There's something which I think it's a, it's a natural development of our psyche, of our character, not psyche, of our character, of our personality. So maybe we need to get to the place that is, as you said, uh, Vita, the more I learn, the more I see that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Barbara, what, what do you think? Well, I'm trying to think about little kids because, you know, my kids are grown up, so I haven't really been around little kids <laughs> in a while on a sustained basis. But I think if we instill a love of learning, people will always know that they know and don't know Mm -hmm. and the joy is continuing that journey so yeah of course the if they're learners they're going to keep learning more and as they learn more they're going to know what they don't know but if they don't love to learn i think we could stymie that you know we could we could create a barrier to that early in life i love it i know that many of these podcast listeners are uh, parents and educators and teachers, not all of them. Uh, we've got a nice variety of listeners, but many of them are, te- are parents who are very interested in finding different ways of educating or raising their children. And I think all of these are really very, very important things. But I, re- I forgot now what I actually, uh, I lost my, I lost the, the thread here. You were saying, what, do you remember what you said, Barbara? That that instilling a love of learning will create a love of not knowing. If I could label it simply. As you said it, I had this image of a child coming to mother or father. I had a mother in my image saying, Mama. And the mother said, you know, I don't know. Let's see. Let's grab a book and let's read it together. Let's learn together. And then everybody gains the mother and the child. And the child knows, yes. Mom doesn't know everything. Mm-hmm. Just to take the mother, yeah. the mothers off the pedestal. Yeah, and mom wants to learn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we want to model wonderful things for our children, you know, you said something just a moment ago, Zahara, that just really threw me um, in a different way of thinking, which is, if parents have trouble mirroring to their children. Could you imagine how hard it is for them to mirror to adults in the workplace? Mm. Wow. No, I haven't thought yeah, of this. Yeah, that's mm. like a wow to me because I help people who struggle every day with interpersonal interactions in the workplace. And thinking to, you know, you, Vita, talking about if we could just transform the entire educational system. If we were queens of the world, not crones of the world, but queens of the world, mm-hmm. we could do that. But wow, that's a lot to think about. Yeah. Would you, Barbara, would you transform, if you were a queen crone, would you, and you had a, you had the baton, would you, <laughs> would you transform the whole education? Yeah, I think I would. I happen to work with not just leaders in um, corporations or nonprofits. I work with quite a few high-level administrators in public school systems. And they're so broken. They all say it. These are large school systems across the United States, and every single one of them is broken. 
and these are people who put their heart and soul into trying to transform it with all the structures in place that they can't change. And they still go in every day trying to make that happen. And I could see the beauty in just starting over. You said it, Sahara. You know, could we just start over? Vita, are you coming on board? Oh, <laughs> you queen crone. <laughs> I'm totally there. Um, the thing is that starting over ed our education system also requires starting over some other systems because the education system serves other systems that are, you know, so it, it's, it's, you know, it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is to, you know, limit opportunities for some people and increase opportunities yeah. for others. So um, if we decided that we wanted everybody to have opportunities then it would be a, a, a different, a different game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it will also serve each other. I mean, we 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 can we can um, create a new system of education, but it needs to serve the whole society. So it it, it doesn't have life of its own. Before uh, one of you, maybe the two of you, said something about the listening thing, just listening to the people. I think you said it about uh, your uh, leaders, Barbara. You said it about the people that that you are actually. Um, working with Vita, and I was thinking of politician. Not that we are going to talk about politics a lot, but also politics is a part of our life. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking in our area here, and uh, our neighbor, nearer neighbor, New Zealand. There's an amazing young leader, Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern. The thing is that she listens to the people. She mm -hmm. listens to the people. I don't want to go now and mention other names, but we don't have many other people, mm -hmm. other politicians in this era that listen to us. She listens to the people. And at such a young age, she has become one of the leading, <laughs> leading leaders, I think, in the world. Yeah. So yeah. why is it, we've got some uh, exp experience in our life, why is it so difficult for people, politicians, parents, teachers, educators, even friends, to listen, really listen. Why is it so difficult? I have two thoughts. One, again, it's, it's training. Like we're, we're not really, we don't really learn how to listen. We, most people's experience in a, any kind of communication is to listen long enough to know what they want to say to counteract. <laughs> you know, to, to offer their viewpoint. And the other thing um, I want to say about that is, you know, again, like really listening gets back to that idea of unknowing and of, uh, of, of, of uncertainty and um, not having the answer and of being willing to consider a different perspective. Um, Yeah, and yeah, I had I had another thought, but I think that'll come up later on. So I'll I'll stop there with that. Yeah. Sahara, what do you think? What do you think makes it so hard for people to listen? Definitely upbringing, but I'm trying to go even further back to 
why why are we brought up with so much noise so much noise i mean just being told the whole time what to do how to do not just media i'm, I'm just talking i'm going back to the, mm -hmm. the the family of origin my family of origin um okay i do know from my personal story or my experience what happens when we stop and we listen and we listen to ourselves there's quite a lot of pain that comes up uh, suppressed memories traumas uh, i mean the whole gamut of things so just being it, it's very uncomfortable being silent or taking pause because of as you said vita the unknown i never actually i never made a connection that clear as you put it in words if i'm going to stop i'm going to listen inside or outside is a little easier but inside first who knows what's going to come up i better make lots of noise i'll move a lot and i still i'm sure i still do it i'm, I'm the only thing is that i'm catching myself much more now hey slow down take a breath slow down and i'm i'm learning the other day i was listening to one of my podcasts and i said wow i'm speaking much more slowly now than i used to speak a few years ago because i used to speak really fast so i can say okay it's also a matter of my culture israelis speak fast with the hands and everything but mm -mm, it's not just why what's the rush so I don't have Barbara answering your question. I'm going in circles. I don't have one answer. I think what I mentioned is one of them, but definitely I'm invited now and intrigued by like every time when we meet the three of us to, to give it more thoughts. Why is it so hard? What do you think, Barbara? I was trying to look at it from a parent's perspective. Back to the little ones. I think parents want to protect their kids. And so they might do more telling than listening because it's out of the love of protection. And also because they don't know the child's worldview fully, they don't quite yet trust the child. And so I think it, go, it can often come out of love but it doesn't set the foundation that you're talking about, both of you, which is listening to self. And it, it, it just keeps reinforcing that we're trying to meet others' expectations all the time. And it's, there's not very much in our culture as young ones growing where they're given license to really know themselves without the external requirements. Who would they be if, if those external requirements didn't exist? And I'm not talking about the obvious things where we know little ones have to be protected. I mean, they do, they do. They don't have the, the cognitive ability, the brain functioning that allow them to take care of themselves like adults know how to take care of themselves. But I think we might be missing something because I keep coming back to all those things that happened to my clients when they were young are playing out in the workplace. And these are adults in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And you just go, wow, how, how can we interrupt that now? Because their time has passed. 
we can't go back. Are you saying that the same drama or the same place that was taking place in the family of origin is being reacted in the workplace? Is yeah, this what typically you mean? what I say, yeah. Okay. yeah. Some element of it, yeah. And it goes down to, goes back to, I wasn't allowed to speak, I was worthless. This is how the child felt. And I'm not, um, saying parents aren't doing a good job raising their children, I'm not saying that. Um, but I do think even I think I was a good mom and I raised two really amazing now adult children. But when I think about when did I start feeling safe enough to allow them to be who they were intending to be? And it sure wasn't at the age of three. Yeah. It was much later than that. It's gotten me to ponder what else could have been more beautiful had I had the strength and courage and understanding to do it sooner. Do you know, when you say protecting their kids, I know that people, parents always want to protect the kids and always think they protect the kids. And sometimes they do harm by wanting to do good. Uh, there are a few things which I can see even in my work that parents are jumping to aid the child, not in order to protect the child, they want to protect their name, actually. I'll give you an example. Mm. When I ask a child, how are you? And the child takes time. Either the child doesn't want to answer because they know I don't like the very well, thank you kind of thing. I really want to know how they are. And so one, the child might not answer and or sometimes the child takes time. They're not, they need to get in touch with what, how they are. They will most of the time if they're young, go and think of something that happens in school or in kindergarten to tell me how they are. But very few parents will be patient enough to wait. Most of them will say, say very well, thank you. I just missed it. I don't want to hear the very well, thank you. And this is because the parent is afraid, also protecting the child, but afraid, what will she think about my child? My child is not saying, is not behaving. Or, you know, how many times you heard mothers or fathers saying, what do you say now? Say thank you when you give something. It's just, it's to protect also their names. This is why I feel so privileged of working with parents and children together, because actually I feel that my role is to guide both of them. It's like facilitating the process of parenthood. I know you're getting that people, you Vita and Barbara, you're getting them older. Almost like I feel that we, in this thing, we have the responsibility of making sure we send you good stuff to where you are. But you are, you, you're doing the sacred job of trying to help people who already go with all these wounds in the workplace, in university, in their life, in the art. And I just love the fact that here we are talking and we're bringing more and more questions and more and more questions and we have less and less answers. <laughs> Yeah. Rita, you wanted to say something. I did. I I wanted to talk. I wanted to say that yes, of course. And and I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking from direct uh, experience. Of course, the parent wants to to um, protect the child, keep the child safe. That's the primary their primary job, I think. But I wonder if it's a can be a both end. Is there a way to keep the child safe and offer opportunities for the child to, you know, to, to, to kind of discover who they are and to, you know, to really be who they are, to live in an authentic way. Um, and, 
and I'm aware that that probably takes time. Also, I also was thinking like, so Howard, you mentioned used the word noise a while back, and I just thought, oh my gosh, there's so much noise in our world, and and some of so much of it, I think it is just to distract us so that we can just keep going, and you know we're you know we're just on this hamster wheel, <laughs> but you know to to protect the child and allow the child to discover and and live as who they are takes time. And a lot of times we don't, things are moving so fast. I'm sure parents don't feel like they have time because they got to get the child out the door to the the next appointment or whatever, you know. So um, I just wonder if there's a way of slowing down, like if we could value slowing down. I mean, as it is now in, in the U.S., I mean, not this past year, but, you know, the kids, the kid, children often have as busy schedules as their parents do with school and then this class and that activity and this play date and that, you know, so I just wondered if there's a way that we can um, really value just slowing down and having fewer things on the schedule and, and, and having more time for protection and self-expression of the child. You touched, you touched now um, the last year. Thank you for bringing it up because the, the world had an invitation, a very painful one, very, very painful one, and just still very painful as we reading the news today and yesterday about what's happening in other places like India and now. But it's like we got also an invitation. We were forced to stop everything and to maybe this was an invitation for a fresh mish to start all over again. And at the same time, you can hear all these calls and pushes to go back to normal, to go back to what it was. It wasn't such a great world before, let's face it. Definitely, if we talk about education, politics, I mean, social injustice, everything. What's the rush to go back to what it was? This is the fear of the unknown that we all touched, we all talked about. So I'm thinking now about the pause that you were saying, about the silence. This is, I think, the invitation in every place to bring everything now to... Yes, and I think what you said, either, it's not either or, it's yes and. I, and I think if we, all of us adults, if you regard yourself as an adult, if you feel that you've got some say in, in your little circle or big circle, if we don't, don't do it now, I think we are already late. So sorry to be, um, to sound like, like, again, dramatic, but I really don't think we have time. Really, the time is now. I think the beauty of slowing, I think the beauty of slowing it down is that you can be present. And when you said, you know, what's scary about listening? I think it's scary for people to be present. Because? Vida has to answer. I can tell Vida has something really <laughs> profound to say. <laughs> I was just blown away by that. Just like, wow, you are so absolutely yeah. right. I think it's scary to be present because it's scary to be present because 
being present means being totally authentic and listening from within rather than you know meeting some external ex uh, expectations yeah yeah and i think it, we went full circle from what we started in this podcast mm -hmm. mm. so we know let's let's circle it back i mean we're not finishing yet but we are just starting to wind up early in our friendship we talked about essence we talked how it's important for us to to know our essence in order to get more intimate with our soul with our soul journey and we talked about how essence is something which when you come to the room people can feel it and the sad or happy i don't know thing is that we are the last ones to know what's our essence actually so we said to each other when we met in these groups we said I feel that your essence is this. And, you, and oh, we were all blown away like you did now, Vita, this, this movement. Of, oh, really? Me? So the whole thing of, as you said, of posing and what you, and you both of you said, you developed it beautifully, posing, being present, we need to know who we are. We need to, we need to um, recognize who we are. We need to recognize our essence. So why is this so threatening? Is it only because we were not told it hasn't been mirrored to us from a young age? Or is it is there something else? I have to tell you, I three words are just rolling in my head over and over and over again. And I can't tell you why, but I think it's because people do not say this about themselves quote, I am enough, unquote. And that is my whole practice, all the people I work with all day, every day at some level. And it has to be something big because it happens to so many people, right? It's not a random thing. But back to our earlier conversation about what we don't know, I don't know how many different factors play into that. But if you're trying to be present, you, you have to believe you are enough because that's all you are in that moment. That is your essence. In that moment, you just are enough. And that just blows people away because they can't even, I don't know. I mean, I've had words for that what it's like for people who I come across who've never experienced those three words. Vita, where does it touch you? Yeah, I was going to say people cannot fathom the truth of those words because we are told in so many different ways every single day that we aren't. And I mean, I'm not just talking about I could just be talking about racism or sexism, or but I'm not. I'm talking about capitalist economies. I'm talking about selling people anything, just telling people that they're that they there's something wrong with them, and therefore they need something else in order to be um, whatever whatever the thing is in order to to be better. And um, it just again, it's it's about some people feeling 
bad so that about themselves so other others can feel good about themselves and it's it's just it's a system that just plays out in, in so many different ways and um and i think that people knowing in their bones i am enough just challenges that whole thing and um and and and, and undermines it in a way that really just lifts up everybody so I, I think in immediately I would go, it's just, it's, it's really mind blowing what you both said. I am enough. I am enough. And I could hear how when, if I present it or when parents are going to listen, parents of young children, some of them might think, what do you mean I'm enough? If my child thinks that he or she is enough, they will not strive to be more than who they are. And this is so untrue. So in I'm enough, actually, there is the whole, the, the whole life force, the whole uh, innate desire to grow, to blossom, to flourish. I mean, it's it's a part of us. Nobody wants to to be born and 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 to decay. We all have this tendency. It's a it's a natural force that goes through our veins. So if we trust this one, it's it's a bit of I mean it it needs to take some trust in order to mm -hmm. to be brave enough to be in the present. And I know we're saying words that for many people they may sound cliche or what you said before, like a who you who trust and and radical self-acceptance and all of this. But we really mean it. We, we are in business because this is the only way we can actually catch something and, and walk on this. This is the raft, we can actually stay alive. We cannot survive without this one. You know, there's another phrase we use here. I don't know if it's used elsewhere. We talk about coming to life with the mindset of scarcity or abundance. Mm -hmm. And I am enough is from the mindset of abundance. Mm -hmm. So to your point, Zahara, it doesn't preclude or take away all of the potential, all of the opportunity, all the yearning, the aspiration, but it also allows us in the sadness and despair and disappointment to know we're still enough. Mm -hmm. So I don't know any better way to start talking about it than this way we're talking about it. But I do know that I see the adults, to your point earlier, who didn't get what they needed when they were little ones. And we work hard and I was one of them. And we work hard to help everyone see, myself included, I am enough. As you two are, of course. As the three of us, I hope, I hope the three of us, I hope me too, but definitely the two of you make, <laughs> give it to each other every time we meet. The feeling that I don't need to show off, I don't need to show you how wonderful I am. Because you, what you think of me and what you see me is much more than I see myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean when I say this soul connection, this very deep heart connection. It's such a real connection that I really wish that everybody on the globe will have such a, such a level of relationship, such a depth of relationship. Yeah. So I feel that we are just, as we are wrapping up, and we can go on and talk for another hour, but you need to go to bed, the two of you. <laughs> to start the day here in Australia. Is there anything 
that you would like um, to say, or is there anything that you wished I would ask and I did not? No, I am really glad, Barbara, you talked about scarcity and abundance because I was thinking of that earlier in the conversation that I think is such a fundamental um, factor in, in all of this in that, that I think in, I think US culture and I think probably most cultures in the world are based on um, a scarcity mindset where, you know, there's, there, there are limited, things are limited and in order for me to have what I need, then that means you can't have what you need. And, and, and I mean, and it feeds into, I'm not enough. I mean, so it's, it's on the individual level, it's on the micro level as well as the macro level. Um, and I think that if we could change that and have an abundance mindset and recognize that there really is enough, I am enough and there is enough for everybody, then um, that would, then that would support new ways of thinking, which would support new questions and new answers. Yeah, and that reminds me, I don't think you didn't ask a question about it, but when Vita, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about the word power mm. and the whole power dynamic around, if one person has power, then someone else doesn't. Mm -hmm. And what is power anyway? Mm. Yeah. So maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking right. that I'm just writing it down. Wow, that's a big one. The P, the O, oh, the one. W, the B. The, wow. Okay, so we're going to have another one starting with power. And who knows where we are going to end as we, as we usually do. <laughs> I'm going to put um, in the show notes, I'm going to put the ways that people can find you if they wish, or if yes. you want them or where you want them to find you. Mm -hmm. um, and what shall I say? I know we are not saying goodbye. We are saying because we are going to continue our life together. Um, I am so grateful for your friendship. I'm so grateful for your wisdom. And I'm so grateful for you just jumping in and playing with me. It means a lot to me. So I thank you, Vita, and I thank you, Barbara, from the bottom of my heart. And we thank you. We really do. It's, it's a, a, a delight and a joy and an honor to, and I love, I love that word play. So yeah, so it's great to play together. A triple yeah. delight, like sounds like a, a, an ice cream. Ice cream right. cone with triple delight. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. It's a sheer delight to connect every week. If you like this podcast, please consider a donation. You will find a PayPal link in the show notes. No donation is too small and every donation is appreciated. Please write comments and rating in Apple Podcast. It would be a good idea to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other place, so you would be notified whenever an episode is published. Another good way to stay in touch is to add your name to the mailing list. 
you will find the link to my website, zohararotem.com, in the show notes, where you can join the mailing list and be notified of new episodes. Thank you for sending your questions and comments in your emails. I love reading them. <laughs>